uh, if you've been part of Calvary, you know that one of the things that we've been engaged in over the last several months is we have been looking for somebody to serve in the role of community life pastor or community life director. Uh, our executive pastor, Dan Arbeiter, has been leading that search. And Dan would have loved to have been here today to share this with you, but he is actually attending the dedication of one of his grandkids in Virginia Beach. And so I think that's an appropriate excuse for him to, to not be here today. And so he's enjoying that, but it's my pleasure to, to let you know kind of where we're at in that. And it was a, we were participating in all the things that you might think that we would do. We were, we were on all of those search engines and we received hundreds of resumes from people all around the country and in fact, all around the world. And that was great. And, and in, a, in, a, in the discussion that Dan and I would have with each other and then the rest of the elder team, we just never had the sense that, that God was leading us to a, to a particular individual. And so we began to think maybe a little bit differently about uh, where God might want to take this role. And lo and behold, after uh, all of that time, after looking at many, many resumes, after considering many options, we are super excited to let you know that we are inviting onto the CUC ministry staff, Bobby Lee Barr, our own Bobby Lee Barr, who's part of the Calvary family. Yes, go ahead, you should. We, we uploaded the, the leadership teams this week, and so some of you might be one of them, and you might know uh, what, what, what was going down. Well, Bobby Lee, if you've been around Calvary at all, you've probably interacted with her. Uh, you've seen her up on stage doing what I'm doing right now. Uh, you've, if you've checked in your kids since we went to the, online, to the computerized check-in system, she's probably helped you at some point in one of those. She's volunteered in student ministries, in children's ministries, in women's ministries, and, uh, you know, uh, she has just been such an incredibly faithful servant uh, uh, over the years that she and her husband Michael and their family have been part of the Calvary family. And so she is going to be coming on the staff as our community life director. And uh, we're just going to bring her up on stage for just a second. And we want to pray for her. And so I, we, uh, as, as you will, you'll receive an, an email announcement. For, and for people who aren't here today, uh, tomorrow you'll receive that in your email inbox. So please, and one of the things that's going to say is please be praying for Bobby Lee, her family, as she starts this role. She begins on October 14th, so starting real soon. And we're just really excited about how God is going to use her. And all of us on staff are just really super pumped about this, and I know you are as too, uh, Bobby Lee. So if you would, let's capture this moment of praise to the Lord for, what we have, for how he has provided for us. Uh, we also want to pray for Larry and Sharon, our global partners, and for the rest of this morning's service. Let's pray together. Father God, what a wonderful day. What a wonderful thing to celebrate. Uh, we, we love just what you are up to in this body, in this family, in this church. We're excited about how you're growing us and how you're stretching us and how you're providing for us. We're excited about what we were able to announce today about Bobby Lee coming on staff. And we pray for she and, and, and her husband Michael and we pray for their kids, their entire family, God, as, as she transitions into this role. And we just anticipate wonderful things happening as she servant leads uh, in our church in that capacity. We also pray, God, for Larry and Sharon and all the ways in which you continue to use them in their heart for people, for lost people, and for their uh, connection to our church. We also pray, Lord, for the rest of this morning's service. We pray that you would be our teacher today, and we pray, Lord, that you would uh, just change us and that we wouldn't just know something more about your word today, God, but instead that you would transform us by the power of it. 
And we pray all of these things in the great name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again. Let's show Bobby Lee some love as she heads back to her seat. Always wonderful to see how God is developing leaders from within our body, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about it. We are in Romans chapter 12. We hopped back into Romans a few weeks ago, and uh, we've been working our way through Romans chapter 12. So in your uh, program, there should be a set of notes, and on the back of that, you can see that we are going to be uh, focused on verses 9 through 16 of Romans 12. And so to get us started... I'm going to go ahead and read that passage, all of it just in one fell swoop. So follow along uh, if you want to on your phone or there in the notes. Uh, I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Let's take a look at that, Romans 12, beginning in verse 9. Let love be without hypocrisy. Detest evil. Cling to what is good. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lack diligence in zeal. Be fervent in the spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in affliction. Be persistent in prayer. Share with the saints in their needs. Pursue hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Do not be wise in your own estimation. When we began uh, Romans 12, we kicked off with the first couple of verses and Paul's call for us to surrender. To, to, to surrender ourselves by presenting our bodies as living sacrifices, as, a, as our spiritual act of worship, and also for the, our own transformation by the renewing of our mind. And then we transitioned from that as we uh, moved into verse 3 and began to look at this concept of a word that we like to use often here to describe what we are as a family. And that is the word, it's a Greek word, koinonia. Uh, Koinonia is used all throughout the New Testament. And in the ancient world, it meant to have fellowship or association with someone, Uh, have have community, have a deep level of intimacy. And it also refers to the participation or the share in which I have in something. So it's someone who is an investor. At the end of today's service, we're actually going to be sharing in something we call communion. And it's actually the word that we, uh, that's the the Greek word for, for communion is, again, that same word, koinonia. So it's a really powerful word. And up until this point in, in Romans, Paul has used the word agape, which is uh, the reference to this, uh, uh, in a sense, it's a perfect kind of love. And he's, he's used it in reference only to the love that God has for us on multiple occasions. But he transitions now in verse 9 as he's describing what koinonia is all about. If you see in verse 9, it says, let love be without hypocrisy. And that word for love is the Greek word agape. And so what happens here in these verses in Romans 12, 9 through 16 is, and you can see it on the, on the top of your notes, it's really Paul's description of a loving koinonia, a loving community, a loving fellowship. It's a place, he's going to describe these things. And scholars have wrestled with this passage over the years, even in antiquity and even still to today. Some of them see this kind of list that Bill, and you can kind of pick up on that, right? There's like this, these staccato imperatives, almost like they're disconnected, almost like 
Paul's just like, you know, you know, like stream of consciousness writing here, where he just, oh, this is in my head, oh, I'll write that down. This is in my head, I'll write that down. This is in my head, I'll write that down. And, and some people have suggested, some scholars have suggested there's no real thing that connects the one to the other to the other to the other. But I would suggest to you that what connects them is Paul's description at the very outset where he's talking about agape. In fact, what I would suggest to you is what all of these things, and there are 12 components that I'm going to suggest that make up this, are really what Paul is using to describe a koinonia, a community, a fellowship, an intimacy, a, a, a joint communion that we have one another that is based on the perfect love of God that we now are being called to share with one another. As God has loved us self-sacrificially, as God has loved us by putting it on the line, and Paul says that over and over and over in Romans. For instance, he says, God demonstrates his, what? Love, agape for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So that same way that God demonstrated his love for us, now Paul is saying, you demonstrate it to each other. So as you can see in your notes, very, this is very atypical that there would be 12 points in one of my messages, right? And so they're not really 12 points as much as they are really these 12 characteristics of this agape love that Paul is calling from the Roman believers, and I would suggest that he's calling from us today. So here's what I would invite you to do. Our brains probably can't give adequate processing to each and every one of those 12 elements. But I'm going to ask that you would be open to the Holy Spirit quickening your mind, your heart, your will toward maybe one or two of them. Maybe as one or two of them surface throughout the talk, you'll be like, the Holy Spirit is just kind of really raising that up in my spirit as one that may, maybe I need to particularly address in my life. Okay, does that make, is that, is that fair? So let's not try to handle all 12, 12 of them and say, well, I can't do all of that, so I'm going to do nothing. But let's be open to maybe one or two in how God is going to challenge us. The first aspect of agape love in a loving koinonia, in a loving community, is love is going to be sincere, right? We actually talked a little bit about this when we did the vitals message on authenticity. Let love be without hypocrisy. That word without hypocrisy is the Greek word anipokritas. It originally, in, in its original use, it meant inexperienced in the art of acting you see because in for a greek actor they were known as a hypocrite they were playing someone else right so for us a hypocrite is someone who presents themselves as one thing but is in reality another so they're playing a part in the ancient world that's what the the hypocrite did so one who was an anapokritos right the the prefix a is kind of negating the word and so an anapokritos was someone who wasn't a good actor couldn't play the part you know, and so it, in the New Testament then, it came to mean this sincere, genuine, without hypocrisy kind of person. So in various translations, one translation says, let love be genuine. My, mine, the one I chose, is without hypocrisy. For yours, it might be sincere. Okay, so that's the idea, is that there would be a sincerity that exists, not a part plan. You see, if we are playing a part with each other. If we're presenting one way, but behind the scenes, the reality is we're someone else. That can't be an agape love type of koinonia. That can't, we can't develop the type of community, kind of fellowship, the kind of intimacy, if we are not allowing people to see 
behind the mask, so to speak. So love, the kind of love that God has for us, the kind of love that he's calling for us to have for each other, is one of sincerity. He goes on to say, then hate what is evil and hold fast to what is good. In my translation, it said it this way, not my translation, but the one I have there, it says detest evil, cling to what is good. What I would suggest to you is Paul is talking in here uh, for each of us. Again, if we're going to have that kind of community that he wants, each of us need to have a spiritual sensitivity. Detesting what is evil and clinging to what is good. The word for detest is the word that means hate, despise, utterly abhor. Paul uses a very strong word here, and he wants it to be very graphic. It's almost as if when we consider evil, it should, like we should be repelled by it. The irony is, you know how evil works. Satan masquerades it as such so that what does it actually make us feel? It invites us. It actually looks attractive to us. That's why scripture says about our enemy that he masquerades as an angel of light. He's the greatest part player of all. He's the greatest hypocrite of all. He's the one who presents himself as, this is going to bring you enjoyment. This is going to bring you fulfillment. This is going to make you happy. This is going to make your day go wonderful. And then when we say, yes, absolutely, sounds wonderful. Let me embrace that. Then the mask comes off, and what do we feel? Guilt, shame, conviction, right? So that's why Paul says, abhor it, detest it, despise it. Like, ah, horrible. I want you to imagine. Now, don't say who it is, and don't put it out there on Facebook or Instagram or anything like that, but I want you to just have a picture in your mind of the ugliest, most repulsive human being in your frame of reference. And I want you to attach him or her to evil, because that's who evil really is. It wrecks us, it kills us, it destroys us. It is ugly and hurtful. And we need to hate it. Then he uses also equally powerful imagery for what we are to do for what is good. Which of course he's implying there what God wants for our life. He says what? Cling to what is good. You know what that word, how that word is used elsewhere in scripture? It's about the type of clinging that a husband is to do with his wife. Same word right here in Matthew 19. And God said to a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife. Same word here as cling to what is good. So in the way that we're called to cling to our wives, guys, that's the same way we should cling to what God wants in all of, our, of the aspects of our spiritual life. So our spiritual sensitivity is evil, detest it, abhor it, despise it, see it for what it really is. And that which is good, cling to it so that there is no distinction between you and it. You are so wrapped up in it. Make sense? One body, that's what a husband and wife have. And that's what God, the kind of thing God is calling for us to cling to what is good. Moving on. The next thing is affection. He says, Paul says, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. In this verse, he uses two words that have the same root. First, he uses uh, a word, philostorgos. And philostorgos is the Greek word which, which um, implies, um, it describes the natural affection that you would have toward your blood relatives, especially and typically of parent, the love that a parent has for a child. So that's the first thing that he uses, he, he, the word that he uses, and, and he uses that as 
uh, that love one another deeply, that devotion. Uh, in some translations, it says be devoted to one another as brothers and sisters. That's that word phil- philostorgos. Then the second word he uses as brothers and sisters is the word that we know as brotherly love. We know what the city of brotherly love is, right? Philadelphia, and that's the word Paul uses here. And that word is, is basically means the, that refers to the love that brothers and sisters have for each other. And so what Paul is doing is he is reapplying these two very human family, nuclear family, extended family terms. He, he's, impl- he's reapplying them now, and that was their original application, but now he's reapplying them toward the tender, warm intimacy that we have one for another in the family of God. So that, that love is sincere. This is, again, and all of it is referring back up to that agape. It's sincere. It has a spiritual sensitivity. It is also one where we have that, again, the same way when we think of parent, when we think of our our children, when we think of a brother or a sister or a nephew or a niece or an uncle, when we think about the, the tender affection that we have for them, that's the kind of love that agape love plays out in the family of God. We also are called to esteem one another. Now, there's two ways to understand this verse. In the translation that I chose in your notes, it says, make it a competition. You want to you want to try to outdo one another? Okay, well, outdoing and show, outdo one another in showing honor to each other. Now, that could be the way it's understood, and that, that, that very well might be. But the second way that, that, that's oftentimes represented is, and here I have the NIV 1984 version translation, where it says, honor one another above yourselves. Now, either one is a good thing, right? Whether Paul is saying honor others above yourself or outdo one another in showing honor, the point is this, mutual affection is always accompanied in agape love. Mutual affection is always accompanied by mutual honor. We esteem one another. We don't put one another down. We don't hold one another in disdain. We don't exclude one another from our lives. But we esteem one another. We honor one another, even above ourselves. Or we make it a competition and say, I'm going to try to outdo you in showing how you how wonderful I think you are while you're doing the same thing to me. And I, 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 let me just pause right here and say, do I recognize the high bar that Paul is setting here? Absolutely I do. But we need to remember that Jesus died for this family. He gave his Holy Spirit so that we could live this out. We are filled with the presence of God because he recognizes the high calling that we have to esteem one another, to love one another, to love one another deeply as brothers and sisters, to have a spiritual sensitivity. So that's why he, he died that this reality might, be, might occur. He gave us his Holy Spirit so that we could live it out. He gave us his word so we could better understand how that's lived out on a daily basis. So do I recognize the high bar? Yes, but we don't, we don't shrink back from that. Why? Because we are people who are not casual, but we're passionate. We're passionate about the family. We're passionate about Jesus. Paul says, do not lack diligence. That is the the way in which, another way to say that, maybe more kind of like uh, everyday language, would be uh, really what Paul's saying is here, do not be lazy. Do not be lazy in your zeal. Don't be sluggish. Don't be a sluggard or a sloth. But be diligent, be active in it. He says, be fervent in the, in the spirit. Serve the Lord. That word fervent is such a powerful word. It literally means to be hot. When it was referring to a liquid, it meant 
they used that word to describe that it was boiling. When it was referring to a, to a, a solid, it was one that was glowing. And so figuratively, figuratively, it came to be known as fervid or fervent. And that is intensely enthusiastic or passionate, especially to an excessive degree. Zao, this word, this word zeo is used to refer to a boiling anger, a deep love, or a strong zeal for what is good or what is bad. And Paul is saying here, be fervent in the spirit. I mean, be red hot for the spirit. This isn't like this casual, yeah, I go to church every once in a while. Yeah, I pray occasionally. Yeah, I consult the Bible when, you know, something real important decision I have to make. No, this is like, this is an all-consuming passion. This is, we are people who are actively engaged and enthusiastically pursuing the things of the Spirit. We are serving the Lord, not because, ah, yeah, I guess I can do that, whatever, you know, if if there's nobody else who can do it, I guess I will. But we, we are people who are filled with a passion about the opportunity that we have. Love in the community of faith that we have here is not something that is casual or is, or is like on the, on the kind of the back, or ladder, um, the back of our minds. But it's forefront. And it's something that we're actively pursuing. It's something that we're hot for, so to speak. Also, our love is resolute. These words that Paul uses in verse 12 say rejoice in hope, be patient in affliction, and be persistent in prayer. In all of them, perhaps the heart of these triplets is the the hope and that confident expectation of Jesus' return uh, and the glory that is to come. But as you can see here, for someone to rejoice in hope, for somebody to be patient in in affliction and persist in prayer, Paul is using that to give a picture here of somebody who who is determined, somebody who stays at it. Somebody who doesn't give up. Somebody who keeps on praying. Somebody who is, who is willing to endure affliction, endure affliction. Somebody who has hope and not a, a hopelessness, but a hopefulness as it relates to these circumstances that we find in our lives. Two things then that come after this aspect is Paul says, first also, the love in the community, the love in the koinonia is one of big hearts. He says, share with the saints in their needs. Now, this could mean, again, two things. And I would suggest it doesn't have to be either or. Perhaps it could be both and. Paul could re- be referring to share in pe- sharing in people's needs and their sufferings, like connecting with them in that. Or he could also be talking about sharing our resources with others. So whichever it is, whether somebody needs a listening ear, our emotional support, they need our prayer support, or perhaps they need us to buy them a lawnmower. <laughs> there could be all sorts of ways in which this is lived out emotionally, spiritually, and practically in our lives. Share with the saints in their needs. Have, have these big hearts. Be people who are generous. And the thing that, that accompanies that in that very next clause in this same verse, he says also, pursue hospitality. Now, in some of your translations, it might say practice hospitality. That's not a good uh, translation of that word. I'm not saying you're reading a bad translation, but that is not a good translation of that word. It is not just practice it. And actually, the word actually means to pursue it, to chase after it. Some of you know that there's a town in uh, Ohio that was hit, uh, that was destroyed by a tornado many, many years ago, and that town's name is Xenia. You know what the word Xenia means? It's kind of weird that they would name their town this. It means strangers. So you know what what word is used here? It's philoxenia. 
The word philoxenia is have love. What's Philadelphia? Love of brothers. Philoxenia is love of strangers. That's what Paul, that's what the word hospitality actually means. Love of strangers. And there's a very interesting quote. Some of you have heard of an ancient uh, Christian and theologian named Origen. And Origen commented, he lived a long, long time ago. He was born in 184 in Alexandria. He lived about 50 or 60 years. At, that's in Egypt, by the way. He died in Lebanon in like 250 or so uh, A.D. And he was a, a great Christian, early Christian scholar, theologian. He was also an ascetic, which is uh, somebody who kind of uh, oftentimes, maybe we would think of, of monks uh, as ascetics that kind of withdraw from society. Not all of his life. Uh, but that was part of his thing. He wrote like 2,000 treatises, and so he was a key theologian, a key leader in the early church's development there in those years in the early 2nd and 3rd century. And listen, listen to what he says about that, because again, the word is pursue hospitality, chase after it, run after it. So he says this, we are not just to receive the stranger when they seem to need us. But we're actually to go after them, to look carefully for strangers, to pursue them and search them out everywhere by chance that they wouldn't sit somewhere on the streets without a roof over their heads. In other words, Paul, again, is raising the bar. He's not just, and yes, do we need to be people who are welcoming? Yes, but actually that's not what he's saying here. He's not just saying, welcome people. He's saying, look for opportunities to go after people you don't know and invite them into your life. I love how, again, when he's talking primarily about the way koinonia is, experiencing, is being experienced, he's now raising the bar by saying, by the way, those of you who are experiencing this great stuff as the family of God, you're supposed to pursue others so that they too can experience this. So go after them. Chase after them. So think of that town in Ohio, again, and think of that idea of strangers, and not just that you, that you welcome them into your life, yes, that's good. But again, the next level love of that is that you're actually chasing after them. The love that we have for each other also is unnatural and unexpected. Because after all, Paul says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Meaning this, the natural thing to do is for us to, of course, curse those who curse us, bless those who bless us, love those who love us, hate those who hate us, right? What's the unnatural thing? The Jesus way, right? Jesus says, if you love only those people, if you return love to those people who love you, what good is that for you? Like even the pagans do that. Everybody's able to love people who love them, but he's saying, love your enemies. And this is kind of a you might this is kind of a precursor to verse 17 when Paul's going to talk more about that and we're going to get into that in a couple of weeks as we jump back into Romans. But the idea here is that there is an unnatural un unexpected way that we love one another. We don't only do that which someone would expect. We don't only do that which is easy for us, but love, agape love in the family of God is one that is lived out in a different way. There's also empathy. Empathy Empathy is not as different than sympathy. 
You know what sympathy is when you feel sympathy for someone, but to be empathic means you're able to connect with a person in whatever they might be experiencing. So you can see here, if people are rejoicing, you're rejoicing with them. If people are weeping, you're weeping with them. You are connecting with them emotionally. You are engaged with them in their life. And so to be empathic means to be connected with them in their journey, in their life, in their emotion, in their struggle, in their successes, in all ways. And so love is not something that just is sympathetic with people when they're going through difficult times, but love is something that's empathic so that it also is able to connect with people in whatever they might be going through. So empathy, love enters deeply into the experience of others. It builds a solidarity with them so much so that, in fact, we begin to have one accord in the body. The Bible says live in harmony with one another. This is the third use of the phrase one another that Paul has in this, passing, in this particular passage. In this word, in harmony, it's translated harmony in our translation we're looking at. It actually means to think the same thing toward one another. It means to be of, same, uh, of the same mind or to live in agreement. So in the same way that Paul talked about our renewed mind was so important in verse two, he's now talking about us having an, in the body of Christ a common mind, that we would live in agreement with one another. And the last thing of these 12 elements that Paul shares with those and I'll share with you today is that this love, this agape love is just down to earth. No pretense, not conceited. He says, do not be proud. Instead, associate with the humble. Now, he's not using that humble. He's not saying associate with people who practice humility. He's saying associate with people of low position, people that you would see as almost lower in the social strata than you are, okay? So he's saying don't be wise in your own estimation. Don't be conceited, but instead just be down to earth. Now again, I'm not going to go back and read over all 12 of those, but I would just ask you, as you think about what it means for us in the body to have a loving fellowship, a loving koinonia, as you look at that list of 12 things, again, maybe one, maybe two, maybe three things jumped off the page for you, maybe the Holy Spirit really drew your attention, don't leave that here. Meditate on that. Share that with someone else. Pray over that with an accountability partner, with somebody in your small group, in a class that you're in. Take the next step with that to own that to, so that you're aware of how God might be leading you to live this out in our context of the loving community that we have here at Calvary. As I said uh, at the beginning, or somewhere in the, near the beginning of the talk, uh, we're going to be experiencing communion today. I'm going to invite all of those who are going to be serving to go ahead and, and head to the back so that they can prepare those uh, to share those with us. Just a reminder for each of you who are here today that we practice open communion. Each and every one of you who have received Jesus as Savior are invited to participate in communion. The tray is going to pass in front of you. Grab a piece of bread and a cup of juice out of it. Hold on to it. After we're all served, then we'll eat and drink together, okay? As they're preparing to do that, I'm going to go ahead and pray. And uh, servers, uh, when I say amen, feel free to uh, head down the aisles and begin uh, serving us with the elements. Father God, thank you for your word. As we receive, Lord, uh, this reminder today of the body and blood of Christ, we pray, God, that you would uh, just, in our hearts, deepen our appreciation for this community of faith, this community that is built on the blood of Christ, this community that is empowered 
by the Spirit of Christ. This community that is, that is guided and formed by the Word of Christ. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus who makes it all possible. Together, as a, as a community, we observe this holy communion and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.
the amazing grace of God that gives us life through his son. Paul wrote to the Corinthian believers many years ago and said what he had received from the Lord, he also passed on to them. That the Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's eat together. Paul continues by saying, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Would you stand as the worship team comes and closes this out with a song of worship? Let me pray as they prepare to lead us in that. Father God, thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for your unending love, for your amazing grace. We thank you that it wasn't in any of our effort, but you alone, Lord, brought us to yourself through the shed blood of your son, Jesus. We worship you in that. We celebrate that. We pray, God, that you would continue to grow us more and more into his image for your glory alone.